Welcome to Shop Talk Live, episode number 183. Today, Mike, Anissa, and I argue about whether three quarters of an inch is a good measurement or a bad measurement. Yep, that's as esoteric as it sounds. Before we get started, I want to let everyone know that I just uploaded a bunch of stuff to the website. We've got issue number 274 that just came out online and in your mailbox. As part of that, we posted Peter Galbert's keynote speech from Fine Woodworking Live 2018. Uh, It's an hour-long video. Peter really goes through his entire journey as a woodworker and artist. As everything Peter Galbert does, he's obviously thought through this. It's very well prepared, very well presented. It was a fantastic hour of listening to a woodworking master. So head on over to the website, check out his keynote speech video. And while you're there, head on over to finewoodworkinglive.com. Peter's going to be a big part of Fine Woodworking Live 2019. He'll be uh, doing a really cool demo where he makes a Windsor-style stool uh, with bent legs throughout the course of a weekend. So it's sure to be mesmerizing. But enough about Fine Woodworking Live. Here is Shop Talk Live. Anissa. Ben. And Mike. Yeah. Hey. Hi. (laughs) Are we on? I guess so. Wow. (laughs) So, Anissa, Mike and Jeff and I have had this discussion, but we want, I want your take on it. Are there good measurements and bad measurements? No, that's not the discussion. No, it's not. Wait, when did this discussion happen? We talk when you're not around. Yeah. Really? No. (laughs) Here's a question. About you. <laughs> okay, no, here's the subject. That's a boring conversation. No, it's... What do it's, you think Anissa's doing? What are your favorite Yelling dimensions? Yelling at her kids. And what are your least favorite dimensions? Say say, say that again, because I talk. I talk you did. Them. What are your favorite dimensions? And least favorite dimensions? Not you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not asking you specifically. Well, no, you are. For instance... Okay. Three sixteenths and five sixteenths. I love those dimensions. I don't oh, like five sixteenths as much as three sixteenths. Three sixteenths. That's like a game dimension. It is five sixteenths. It's it, it comes in there. No. Yeah. Can I get a little more context? How did this Just conversation that's pretty start? Much it. That's really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's... My least favorite dimension probably three quarters of an inch. No. Because it's either too skinny for being fat or too fat for being skinny. Least favorite dimension. Is three thirty seconds. Yeah, I don't like thirty seconds. I like sixteenths and eighths and quarters. I'm not against the three quarter. But you're right. When something's three quarters of an inch, it probably should be either five eighths or, or seven, seven, eighths. seven. Yeah, five eighths, okay. seven eighths. Those rock. Okay. Seven eighths is bold. I don't like inch and a half. I prefer inch and a quarter. Hmm. And inch and three eighths is like get off the fence. Are you an inch and a half or inch and a quarter? <laughs> so, so are you most offended by inch and three eighths? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, because there is a place for inch and a half, inch and three eighths. <gasps> I mean, inch and a half is good solid. You could use yeah. two by stop, you know, like for shimming things and um, five sixteenths in bolts. I like. I don't like five sixteenths in stock. You're Maybe fine. I should though. Maybe that's what's wrong. I can't commit to any of this unless I have specific content. Like context. five sixteenths is a nice shelf thickness because you don't think you can go that thin, but you can, and it's nice. What does the salgulator well, say? It, you can go that thin, like for wall cabinets and stuff. I even okay. go down to quarter inch shelves. Yeah, I need Dude, specific context. I know you. You need to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> like for pins or pegs, eighth is too small, sometimes quarters too horsey, but three sixteenths is yeah. nice. I like three sixteenths in general because three sixteenths is like an, a number 10 screw Yeah, is three sixteenths. And number 10 screws, we all know, besides number eight, are the best. Hmm. <laughs> I can't commit to any of this. I need – if you gave me a specific situation, I could – commit to something but just like 
in general? Like, but I kind of think that the conversation that we had started was not necessarily in reference to anything. It was more that like three sixteenths is a good measurement. So like those dimensions that come up as you're building, whether it's rails and styles, whether it's case thickness, whether it's shelf thickness, whether it's pins or pegs, it always seems like certain dimensions are always good and certain dimensions never seem to be good in that specific application. I hope we not talked about half inch. Or three-quarter. We did talk about three-quarter. I know. Half-inch can be okay. Case by case. I can't. I'm not committing. Wow. I really thought you were going to take this and run with it. No. All right. Mm -mm. Well. Because it's locking me in, and then I have to stick to whatever nonsense I said. (laughs) Years later, Well, I can't do that because right. on that podcast, I said I didn't I like exactly. five sixteenths. Yeah, exactly. So now I'm stuck with three eighths. Right. But it doesn't work for that particular situation. So I'm not committing to that. And don't ask me my favorite color. Well, okay. I really want to ask you your favorite I color. I'm not committing to okay. one. I like, I like all, all of them. Depends on. But it what. hasn't been that long since you've had like a four or five year old. Where, like, they ask you that once a week. Oh, yeah. No, they still ask me. And I say I cannot commit to wow. a favorite what, color. What's if, your favorite color? If you were a tree, what tree would you be? Ooh. Ooh. Pitch pine. <gasps> Pitch pine or Joshua tree. Oh. Or I, madrone. Go white oak, definitely. Manzanita. I don't know Manzanita. if this is a little too yeah. telling, but the first thing that came to my mind yeah. is poplar. Oh. I'm pink grade. <laughs> Just wants to be popular. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is sad. <laughs> the worst part is I, yesterday it was announced that uh, that Wood Talk Online is is calling it quits. So right now there, there are a bunch of m- maybe new listeners that are saying this is what we have now. Wow. <laughs> like, there are a bunch of people going, wait a minute. It was is, Wood Talk. That was Wood Whisperer and, Mar- and Matt Cremona and Shannon Rogers. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. And oh, wow. now there's us. That's what, what they, Ben is saying. They, it's too bad for the general public. Like, <laughs> did they break up like a band? Like, was there... No, I think they just... I think they felt like it ran its course. Creative differences. Like, Not, they're going off... Oh, sorry! <laughs> yeah, one of them moved careers. everyone else's microphones. Yeah. I didn't know it swiveled. I'm so sorry. All right. So our our uh, ex-podcasting mate, Matt Kenny, has his own podcast now. Oh, that's right. The Matt Kenny Show. No, Matt and Joe. Matt Who's Kenny, Joe? Matt Who's Kenny and Joe? Wings. Joe's <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe's a guy. Joe's Joe's just some guy around Joe's here. Joe's a that, good guy. That... that that they started talking and decided to make a podcast. Cool. So yeah. the premise is Vista Cruiser. Hmm? His name. His. I refer to everybody via their their, their Instagram <laughs> handle. Their Instagram <laughs> handle. You should know that, Nisa Caps. Um, well, Joe's sort of getting into the craft, so yeah. he was asking Matt some questions, and they're like, "Oh, this would be a cool podcast. You can sort of ask me questions, and Matt will answer them." And yeah. And um, and then I think Matt also wanted to interview, if he goes on the road or, or travels, wants to interview woodworkers, something like that. There you go. Well, there's other. I mean, there's uh, the Woodworkers Podcast, which is again Instagram handle Chalkstone Woodworking. Ben Brunick and Ramon and Phil um, and Morley. Phil Morley. Yeah. Um, there is, I think Guy Dunlap has like five podcasts now, but there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of good woodworking podcasts. Modern Woodworking Association. Are they still doing that? Mm-hmm. Cool. I was on it not long ago. Huh. So let's answer some questions. All right. All right. First one is from David. I have avoided cordless power tools because I'm a hobbyist and a renter. I seldom use tools outside of the basement workshop. I've been told I don't know what I'm missing, but it seems my wallet prefers it that way. I changed the order of the questions. Um, I'm most concerned about trying to commit to one brand or manufacturer or contend with the expense and hassle of having multiple chargers and batteries that aren't compatible. 
Do you feel what's going on over there? I'm sorry. Do you feel as though it makes sense to keep all of your cordless power tools within the same brand, or is my concern unfounded? If you had to commit to a brand, what would they be and why? That part I'm not answering. I don't know if it's unfounded. I don't know how realistic it is. Um, where I do think it's important to have like-minded tools of the same brand is uh, get a drill driver combo. So you got a drill, you got an impact driver, you get one charger, you get two batteries, you can interchange them both. That I think is really important. And you can buy them as kits and you're going to save a lot of money. I think that's where it's important for them to be the same brand. But even in the same brand, let's say you buy a rigid something, something, 18 volt, and then like two years later, I'm going to get another rigid in the 18 volt. Like the battery technology is completely different. The batteries don't fit. So it doesn't. Maybe they do. Maybe I'm just like casting aspersions here or something. Well, no, but. no, because it like I bought into back in the day. I bought into pretty heavily Porter Cable, and their 18 volt NICAD line. And maybe like a year or two later, they swapped to 20 volt, and I couldn't get batteries anymore. Yeah. All the batteries I could buy were old stock. Yeah, that I didn't necessarily trust. So it, that 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 is a legitimate concern. Well, how many cordless tools do you actually use, like in the in the wood shop? Drill and driver. Yeah, that's pretty much. And it. I I just have twelve volt Milwaukee's. Um, but like cordless nailers are coming around. Oh, uh, I cannot say enough about the cordless nailer. It's. Like it's really inviting. Like it, what size? I've used like the big gas powered. No, just the pass load, like framing in there. Bam, no, bam. no. Yeah, those are great. Well, yeah, that's, that's that wood shop. That should be your new joint. <laughs> you should change from the dovetail to <laughs> the framing nail. <laughs> so you've used um, what is it? It's a cordless pin nailer. Uh huh. It's fantastic. Huh. She reviewed it in the magazine that mm-hmm. you okay. creative directed. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't look at every page I lay out. <laughs> huh. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. The, like I would really like to have a cordless pinner and a Does cordless... it have a big old honking battery on the end? It does. But that actually makes it you're not going you're not going wasting uh, time going over to yeah, connect that's it a to pain. anything. It just stands upright like mm. your drill. It's I just, so amazing and so handy. I just can't justify the the expense of one. But say they made a Milwaukee twelve volt, and the tool only was a hundred dollars. And that it fit I could. your battery. Yeah. Yeah. So there is like an absolute concern over like which which brand do I buy into? What do I, for me, buy one that you feel is going to remain around longer than anything else. So there's a yellow one, there's a blue one, there's a red one. Buy the big brands. Don't buy the cheaper ones because I think their battery formats are going to be around longest. Mm. But I wish my red one had a cordless pinner. Right. So if it doesn't, Eventually, you're going to have to replace the batteries anyway. Years down the road, hopefully, I would say if you need the pinner, get it. And you'd be surprised at how much, maybe it's a bad thing, but once you have it and it's so handy, how much you reach for it for really little, tiny Is it the 18-gauge or 23-gauge? 23. Oh, so it's a skinny, skinny. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's nice. Yeah, and you don't even see a mark. No. And it's almost like an extra set of hands in the shop sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, and I think, then you're not using your compressor, your loud right, compressor, exactly running the hose all over the place. Yep. I think you need both an 18 gauge and a 23. The only thing about the 23 is there's no heads, so it's like I'm I'm tacking something down on a jig, maybe a sheet of MDF to you know to give me a zero clearance sock curve, and I want to pop it up. Those pins, the MDF pulls up and all those pins yeah. stick out, and then you try to pry them out, and half the time they break off. Whereas if you go like an 18-gauge, heavier with the head, 
those tend to either lift out with the MDF or you can get them out with pliers really easily. Mm -hmm. So I, I like them both. I use them both. For furniture stuff, definitely the 23 gauge I use more, like for tacking in glass strips and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I don't see a point for like cordless saws in the shop. I don't like it. I'm sure people use cordless circular saws all the time. That doesn't bother me to pull out. Cordless, cordless. battery charger. <laughs> cordless battery charger. That'd be cool. We call that solar. <laughs> no, but so so what are so we we've got, you know, drill and driver nailers that you would use. Um the new thing Jeff is... has a cordless stapler that I covet. Oh. Yeah, that was fun. That's really nice. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I have a cordless lawnmower. A niece. What? I am telling you. What? That it doesn't pertain to the woodworking topic or well, that I went cordless on my lawnmower? Both. Ben. Is it great? I can't, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love mowing the lawn with this new lawnmower. Okay. Can it's you, fantastic. Can you get the whole yard done with a yep. single charge? All right. Twice in one charge. Wow. How big are the batteries? Like a big old car battery? No, it's not that big. Hmm. Probably a third the size of How big a car battery. Yard? I'm on a, a not huge. Okay. A little more than a quarter acre total. Hmm. That's so. pretty good, though. Twice. Yeah. Well, no, the, the house takes up a portion of that, too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. It's not that loud, and mm -hmm. I have my eight-year-old doing it now. Mm. It's perfect. I'm trying to think of of another cordless tool that I really, really want. Besides the nailer, that's it. What's the, oh, the router? You've you've got you were you trim router? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's okay. I got one. I have one. Wow, he's really I didn't buy it. Waving that flag. <laughs> there is one in my shop right now. <laughs> uh, Bob Van Dyke really likes them. They're kind of top heavy. He didn't seem to mind it once he got used to it. I guess that's okay, but I was using one in a class situation and we were running out of juice. Like multiple students like routing waste between dovetails and stuff. They just kind of ran out. Yeah, but that's not really a real-world scenario. Yeah, I don't think it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Okay. I think a lot of these things, they pertain to once you get into the house and you start working on stuff in the house, trim or or anything, I think that's where cordless is a cool thing, but definitely drill driver and pin nailer and trim router, chop saw. Lawnmower. <laughs> Lawnmower. <laughs> Oscillating multi-tool. No. Oh, yeah. yeah, but not, this is not workshop. No. You're, you're like you're like yeah. Cap, Anissa Caps over here. Yeah. Well, I Jeff we, we went there. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So while I was reading that last question, it was pointed out to me that <laughs> I started on the wrong script. So that's what was going on there. So I think we should go to the correct script and let's. All right. This one is from Mike. A couple of years ago, I cut down a black walnut tree and I, and I have two inch slabs that are about 20 inches wide. I'm going to make a bed and the, with, with the walnut for the headboard and the footboard. I plan to connect the headboard to a post with a mortise and tenon. The tenon will be about 18 inches wide. Because of eventual wood movement in the walnut, I'm assuming that I should not glue the entire length of the tenon and only glue the center. My question is how wide should I make that glue? And should I put dowels in for extra support? 18 yeah. inches. I mean, like if you use a PVA, that has some give to it over time. I'd say probably 18 inches. I'd probably glue this center 10 inches. Hmm. And I would throw like a pair of pins sort of maybe four inches, six inches apart, like off on center. I think that would be okay. But I would I would like pins in there. I would also like a lower rail, like a bed <laughs> rail. 
you know, like below, like at mattress height, uh-huh. to really lock that into square. Oh, right. And then that big old slab is just kind of all you're doing the is visual, sort of yeah. locking it in place so it doesn't move. Huh. Okay. Why not twin tenons? At what point do you do two tenons? Or a crenellated tenon? And for our listeners, a multiple, crenellated tenon? Multiple tenons connected by a long stub tenon between the tenons. That's not what I thought a crenellated tenon is. So for oh. our listeners and for me, mm-hmm. a crenellated tenon is multiple stub tenons with... Yeah, so like if you think of a breadboard end, there's like a long mm-hmm. stub tenon and then you have maybe three or four tenon tenons sticking out. Okay. But you're so. only really gluing the center one. Yeah, typically. Um, the benefit for that is that you don't have this really long, deep mortise the entire length, and those walls can get sort of thin and, and like movie. So you just have like a little stub tenon that keeps the part aligned over its length, and it keeps enough meat on the mortised piece to keep that strong. And then just the deep tenons here and there provide some extra strength. Okay. So... Over 18 inches, you would or would not do a crenellated? Um, or you would still just do one big old tenon? I don't know. Big old slab. What would you do? I was thinking maybe if he really wants to do that big tenon, he could and just glue the center. Like maybe I would split it in thirds. But it's going into a post, so they could be pretty deep. I don't know that I would pin it, hmm. especially if I was doing that bottom rail. I like that idea. Um, I would probably do three separate tenons and only glue the center one. And I would pin it, so there's hmm. three answers. Yes, yeah, I say. think I would. I would. I would pin it. I draw bore and not necessarily worry about the hmm. glue. I would glue. You know, the middle six inches or whatever, and not worry about it. I like draw the drawboard idea because it's on a. I just made a bed, and all the joining was drawboard, not for the extra strength, but just because I didn't have any really really long clamps to glue up a queen size oh, headboard. A- where the drawboard is like bang, it's just self clamping joint. So I think for that, that's really cool. I don't know, 18 inches. I mean, maybe it's a, um, hmm, maybe it's like a deep six inch tenon in the center, then with a little stub tenon close towards the ends just to keep the thing from warping or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm still trying to picture what this headboard's going to look like having this big slab trapped between two posts. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the slab is sort of overlaying. The posts, right. so you have this cool sort of end, angled end or natural ends of this piece. So it's really slab, like this full-on slab, and then it's sort of tacked to these posts behind it. Um, that's kind of a cool look. I don't know. Well, there's a lot of options. There is. All right. Well, <clears throat> Anissa, do you want to start with a smooth move? See, I, I've literally <laughs> been like thinking about the smooth move over the past week when we decided we we're going to do smooth move and I'm sitting there going, man, I don't have anything. This stinks. Right? Like, yeah. this is the only time you like really get annoyed that you haven't screwed anything up. Oh, you can always count on me for and, a dumbass move. Well, but there's, <laughs> like, right, right at the last minute, I came through last night. So, right. Good. Yeah. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to start with... I went to... A store and bought a router bit. Oh, yeah. How's that to bearing size compared to the bit? You know what, Mike? That <laughs> really just like took the wind out of my sails. I'm just right asking. Is that the perfect flush trim bit, right? <laughs> How did you know? I, I didn't even pull it out of the package and you knew the bearing was oversized. Because I bought it. Oh. You bought the same bit. Yes. And I took it to a class and I opened it up at the class in Indiana. It's like, what the? You So you've made the same smooth yes. move? Yes. All right. For our <sighs> listeners. I'm just going to tag team this with you. There is an orange store that sells what looks like <laughs> a perfect little pattern bit. Yes, it does. It's, right? It's a beautiful thing. You buy it. You spend $30. Pattern bit. Well, that's well worth it, right? Yeah. Nope. 
Anissa, you're looking at the packaging. Where does it tell you that you're about to screw up everything? Because this looks like a perfect little pattern bit, doesn't it? If I didn't tell you that the bearing was oversized, you would not know. But the, this is a half-inch pattern bit. It says, and it is marked as half-inch by 5 sixteenths mm-hmm. mortise bit. Hinge nice. mortise bit, right? That's a really nice size bit. That's, that's great. Half-inch yeah. by 5 sixteenths, right? right? Well, if you really look closely, it tells you as well, but you really got to look closely. And the oh. only time you're going to look closely is after you've discovered that this bit sucks. <laughs> It just makes your hinge mortises perfectly too small. <laughs> the bearing is five eighths of an inch. So last night I'm I'm um, I'm making oh and then there's there's more to to add to the smooth move. So I I'm making it like a, a sharpening stone holder, and uh, I don't think I put pictures in there, but I'm making a sharpening stone holder. So I. I put all my stones on this piece of plywood and I cut out little strips of quarter inch hardboard and I glue them down and onto, onto blue tape. I glue them down and I'm going to use this little pattern bit to make recesses to hold the stones. Cool. So I cut out one and I look and the recess is too small. That's when I figure out that mm. the bearing is oversized. Well, it's 10 o'clock at night at this point. Oh, well, I'm going to finish this up and I might as well, you know, I'll just chisel out the rest. Sure, chopped in line. It's right. not, not the end of the world. Right. So I move on to the second stone holder and I, I route it out and I pull it up and all of a sudden the recess is bigger than, than the grid work that I have laid out. And the bearing loosened up and slid down. Like that, like oh. on the picture. Huh. So it was basically just going willy nilly under the grid work. Or riding on the, the, the shaft. Hardboard pattern that I had laid out. Wow. So it's like not only did this, like this bit really screwed me over once. Yeah. It just decided, no, I'm going to loosen up and the bearing's just going to go slide wow. down the shaft. I did not have and that I'm problem. And i going to get you again. Yeah. So I really. I'm not one to return things. If I purchase the wrong thing, I'm not one to return things. But I might return this bit because I think it's. I mean, technically, you could just pull off the collar, slip on a half inch. Yeah, I know. Bearing. And I, I should do that. I hate this bit. Hmm. Maybe wait. Till your other brand of half inch trim bit that actually has a half inch bearing. The bit wears out, then take that bearing and throw it on there. I'm so annoyed by this bit right now. Yeah. I can't even stand to look at it. Yeah. So not so, not to mention any brands, but just buy white side bits. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other problem is that this store had two pattern bits. One was a three-quarter inch pattern bit. Mm-hmm. What do I need that for? And one was this, and this one's got the oversized bearing. I don't understand why you would want this bit. It's going to trim away from the face. Like if you're trimming like a, I don't know, laminate, it's going to leave it a sixteenth of an inch out. Why do you want that? I don't know. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. I don't know. What's it say? What's it good for? It says, ha ha, you suck. Yes. Got you. Jokes on you. <laughs> uh, it's carbide with titanium, though. And oh, just the fact that you're not going to use it. it means it's a super long lasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so annoying. All right. Somebody else go. Please. Before go ahead, I, Lisa, because I'm, I'm just going to, I didn't have one, but now obviously this is mine as well. Oh, so you, so. you just piggybacked. Yeah. All right, cool. I It does make me feel better that you've bought that. Yeah, and so in the class situation, I'd made up a bunch of um, mortising jigs because we were doing a wall cabinet or something, doing hinges, and I did a great demo on the other router, and then someone came back and said, no, this hinge mortise is too small. I'm thinking, no, it's not. It's perfect. <laughs> and I walked back. It's like, punk, punk, punk. No, this is like really small. Yeah, so it, well, it, it came was, immediately clear it was a bit. It was For this, it was very, very clear because – 
the hardboard was glued onto blue tape. So I pulled up the router, vacuumed it away, and there's like this perfect little eighth inch line of blue (laughs) Blue tape. tape. (laughs) And it was like, what is going on? So the realization. Yeah. That moment. Okay. So you know how I was waiting for the grizzly dust collector to come in so I could test it? Mm -hmm. We put in the order for it. It was on back order for months. And when it finally got delivered, it had to come UPS and it had to come UPS freight. So uh, this whole thing started late August, early September, waiting for the dust collector to come in from being on back order. UPS gets it. And I had to schedule about four or five different dates to get them to drop off this dust collector. I couldn't just let them leave it and... They said, it's coming in three packages. I said, okay, I can accept that. They said, will there be somebody there? And I said, somebody will be there. And they said, we can leave it out out on your porch or out on the front of the street. And I said, absolutely not. You can't do that. I live on Main Street. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. And um, <clears throat> so I finally get this dust collector. The guy comes specifically asked, can I take this thing apart and leave the pallet on the truck? And they said, yeah. So it comes. There's no way that's happening. This thing is like crated like I've never seen anything crated before. (laughs) It's not just plastic wrapped on the pallet. It's plastic wrapped and it has like furring strips that are interconnecting all three different boxes. So It's a Pekovich packing job. <laughs> it was crazy. So I get the guy to deliver it as close to my backyard as I possibly could. And, of course, it was pouring rain that day. I have to take this thing apart in the rain. I have to get it in as fast as I can. I finally have this thing in my shop. I spend an entire weekend. I devote an entire weekend to putting it together and starting to use it. I'm very excited to get this thing together. I take all the parts out. I actually took the time to arrange all the hardware, which there was a time where I would never do that. I would just start grabbing things out of the bag. But I I laid everything out. I made sure all the like bolts were together and... Kerning. Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. It was satisfying. I was ready to put this thing together. I looked at all the parts. I had everything nice and neat. I started to put it together. I got to the last step. (laughs) (laughs) No, wait. Can I? Where's the photo of the? Yeah, that one. I had to. I had to enlist neighbors because I get to this this part in the directions where it says find two assistants. Who has two assistants (laughs) sitting around waiting? you, You have two children. One, they weren't home. <laughs> Two, they're not even that tall. They don't even come up to the height that they needed to hold the thing. So you just need to wait a few years. I know. <laughs> so I get two of my neighbors to come over. I only needed one. I really think that's overkill. I think they're just being safe. So two people could, but there was no way one person could do this unless you had a hoist or something. So the neighbors come over and you could see, oh, there, there are these two parts, these two green upright pieces that hold the top, the heaviest piece on top. And I looked. I made sure they were symmetrical. I made sure I was checking everything. How did I miss that big sticker that said fix switch here? How? I, I don't know. Me neither. So what but is- I put it down by the floor and the cord, the other adapter that it needed to go into was up in the top by the so, motor. So you've got two people waiting here to pull the motor on top of the dust collector. Correct. And you've got the switch attached to the bottom of the dust collector. Kind of. I have the two people put the thing up on top with me. I bolt everything together. They go home. Sure. I do a couple more things. The next day I realize, oh, I put that thing upside down. Oh, so the mount is upside down. Correct. The switch right there is supposed to go on the floor oh. or it's supposed to go up toward the motor. So you assembled I assembled it down by the floor the and chassis the chassis upside down. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
And what does that have? What effect does that have? Well, you can't you can't connect everything. You can't connect the switch to the motor. So you had to call your neighbors again. No, I didn't. Drill a couple extra holes. I thought about that. I didn't have anything. No, I just put a support beam in there and texted my neighbor and said, "If I don't text you back in a half an hour, come get me out from under the dust collector." <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. So you, because once it's in place, you just sort of got a little jack thing right. in there. Okay. Yeah. So I crossed my fingers and cool. I. Well, you could so see you, that I. You took the 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 part out. Yeah. And flipped it around. Well, I put the two by four. I actually tapped a wedge in there so that I kind of lifted it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and you then left I, the other side intact. You're really the other smart. side. In, really? If I was really well, smart, I would have assembled it properly to begin you, with. You recover very well. <laughs> that was that's good. And then I forgot to text her, and she came over to see if I was okay. <laughs> If I don't text you in half an hour, I'm dead. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> she came how over. Long, how, how long after? Probably 45 minutes. She okay. gave me an extra 15 minutes. Good I was for, like, wow. oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. Thank you for being so conscientious. <laughs> but I'm proud of the little wedge fix, too. That's really good, Because that gave yeah. me just a little bit of extra space to pull that out. Are you going to keep the big belt buckle on there? Uh, Probably. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the the grizzly belt buckle? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're... They really like it's a beautiful thing. I took it off my bandsaw. It lives in the bottom drawer of my my little tool drawer because I can't bear to throw it away. Yeah, I just can't bear to have it staring at me every time I use my bandsaw. It's not a bad thing. Okay, I I have um, I've done something similar, but I wasn't smart enough to get help with uh, assembling my. It's not really – it's not put, assembling the bandsaw. It's putting the riser block in the bandsaw. Mm, yeah. Because you've got the whole top section of the frame, the wheel and everything. And, yeah, I can pick it up. I can hold it on there. But I can't get the bolt through the thing, through the riser block, through the – and then yeah. screw it on enough. And I remember when I first assembled it, uh, it – I swore I'm never going to do this again. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done machinery-wise, assembling something. I was either going to hurt myself or the machine. And lo and behold, did it again. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, got through it. I'm not one to go get help. Yeah. And that's not a good thing. How would you have gotten that up there? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'd get help now. Because I, especially because I don't own it. So I wouldn't want to break Damage it and it then have to your, call Grizzly yeah. and say, hey, you know how you sent us this thing to test? Uh, right. Can you send us another one? So. Yeah. How would you get it up there, Mike? Call Barry and I. Ben and Barry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You only need one of them, though. Which one would you call? I like them both. I, I do them both. <laughs> But you only need one of them. Which one would you call? This is really awkward. I know. It'd only be more awkward if Barry was here. Um, I would go by who has the greatest personal interest in helping me. Like, for instance, I had to move a big lathe in, <laughs> and I was giving Ben my old lathe. Right. So then it was a Ben. Yeah. That was, that was an easy one. Yeah. But I didn't show up to actually help you assemble the new lathe. I forgot. Oh. So, I think I'd handle it. Maybe Barry helped me. With no, that. John Tetra helped you. Oh, JT, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Well, when we come John, back, John's good. John, yeah, mm. he'll figure out anything. John moved a three horsepower saw stop by himself. Yeah. I mean, that's, I got to say, that's kind of stupid. He moves entire barns by himself. Right. But, but, like, He's fairly superhuman, but that yeah. was other world. I think he bought like a, like a sort of an RV trailer thing that you tow behind your truck. He bought it and he ripped off everything down to the frame because he got it really cheap. And then he used a frame to put all these beams from a barn the he barn, saw yeah. to move it. 
And then he sold the trailer for more than he bought it for. <laughs> right. It's just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, waxing joiner beds and shellac on hand planed finishes. Hmm. Joe Taylor from Rikon, what you going to tell me about today? We're going to talk about Rikon's introduction of our 14-inch deluxe bandsaw with smart DVR control technology. What the heck does that mean? That means that you have the best bandsaw in the industry now that gives you DVR controls, which means that you're going to be able to adjust the speed on your bandsaw based on whatever your cutting application is. So whether you're cutting wood, metal, plastics, or even customizing with the right blade, the bandsaw is going to be powered to have continuous torque throughout your entire cutting application without losing any power. All right, so I hear continuous torque. That means that when I cut, it's not going to slow down on me. The motor's just going to give it more juice. You're never going to lose any power. It's going to maintain that cutting speed throughout the entire cutting application. Now, you didn't just throw this on any old bandsaw, right? No, we put it on our number one selling bandsaw and the number one rated bandsaw, which is the 14-inch Deluxe Model 10326. And what if I have an older Rikon bandsaw? The great thing is if you have an older model, whether it's an older 325 or the standard 326 or even our 10324, there is an upgrade kit available for it. Setup takes about 30 minutes and you'd be up and running in no time. So one last question. Are you excited about the DVR? Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Uh, we just released it last week. We've gotten great response. So please visit our website for more information and contact your local dealer to get a look at it. All right, before we uh, answer any more questions, I want to let everyone know that we're going to uh, give away a copy of Craig Thibodeau's book. Uh, if you missed it, last week we did a bonus episode of Mike interviewing Craig Thibodeau, mm -hmm. and it was fantastic. And if you missed it, you need to go listen to it. But also leave a comment in the uh, show notes here on episode 183, and uh, that'll enter you for a chance to win a copy of Craig's book. Titled? The craft of veneering. Ooh, you thought you had me there, didn't you? I did. You? Yeah. I thought it was All a right. fine art of veneering. You got me. <laughs> yeah, so that so I, I had to be a Ben for that interview with Craig. It's good being a Ben, isn't it? It was really hard. <laughs> and so I had this sort of kind of awkward, stilted conversation with Craig for the whole interview. And then after we were done, we sat there and talked for like another hour and a half, and it was great. And I thought like the tape was rolling through the whole thing, and Ben said, no, we didn't get any of that. That was a that was a conscious decision. So that was like the lost tapes. But that was you and Craig bonding. But and that, that was important. I, and personal. Yeah. It was. That's what it was great. Well, I I but I really have that problem a lot. Like we'll we'll be talking to somebody and I'll be like, I should, I should tell Jeff to start rolling. And but I realized that no, we have to like we have to establish relationships with our authors and our, you know, like there's a trust thing going on here and there's, and if I'm always rolling or if I'm always thinking about rolling and making mm. videos that, that, that puts a barrier between the two. That's cool. So <clears throat> I really do try and be upfront and honest cool. with it. Great book though. Yeah. All right. So now people are going to be screaming for the lost Craig Thibodeau tapes. Yes. Like I'll do a dramatic reenactment. And it'll it'll be uh you know oh I, I burned him I'm gonna be like Brian Wilson with the smile tapes and I burned him in a in a fireplace and 30 years later oh there they are so all right <clears throat> question number three is from Jay I recently volunteered to be the shop manager for my local guild of woodworkers we have a 16 inch Oliver that apparently according to some must never have its bed waxed. They prefer it is cleaned only with kerosene, the reason being that it's believed that waxing a joiner bed will cause glue joints to fail. Is there any merit to this train of thought, or can I just wax it and make everyone's life easier? You know what is found to cause glue joints to fail? Kerosene. Leaving. <laughs> or no glue. What? I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wax, wax the bed. Wax the bed. Yeah. Wax or that top coat stuff, the spray stuff. Good. Wax it and don't tell them. That's kind of where I am because a bunch of angry old men at you, you know coming at you for every glue joint failure is not going to be worth it. I would do what they tell you to do because you're right. No matter what you do, if something goes wrong, it's it's on it's you. on you. Kerosene. 
Wax. Um, Bob Van Dyke, who usually does like the top coat spray stuff, you know, he's been using now is crumpled up wax paper. Yeah. He's sold on that. So do you wax your joiner bed? No, because wax doesn't inhibit moisture all that well, and so it doesn't really inhibit rust at all. But it inhibits friction. Yeah, but I also sort of like a protective thing. I use that top coat stuff. What is what you? What is this top coat stuff? I don't. I don't know what it is. I think it's called top coat. <laughs> it's in the brown Thanks. can. <laughs> a, okay, is it a spray? Yeah, it's brown aerosol can. You spray it, wipe it off, makes everything really slippery. Okay. Here's the thing, though. None of my joineries cut when I'm putting something on the jointer. Panel glow up. You're gonna hand plant it. It just the wax is not going to interfere <laughs> with the glue joint. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm I'm not buying that the wax is going to interfere with it. Just make sure you buff it off really well, and I don't. So think they don't know. Well, so I don't think that there is any residue. I mean, it's the same thing. People ask, well, if I wax the bottom of my hand plane, is it going to inhibit the finish or the glue joint? No, it doesn't. No. Yeah. I I mean I will say this: a 16 inch joiner. When you're running a 14-inch board over it, there is a lot more friction mm-hmm. than with an 8-inch. Yeah. So what we do at home might not necessarily um, apply, but... Spray stuff. I, I think I used to use Slip It or whatever that, that wax that we got. Yeah. I'm working live. I used to use Slip It on the on mm. the SCMI. But, um, I don't know. Wax is too messy. I just, I just kind of think that someone's going to catch you, though, Jay. Yeah. And then you're going to lose your sweet gig volunteering. <laughs> I don't know. I like. I kind of like the just the the regimen of the getting the wax out, cleaning off the bed, putting the wax on, buffing it off. It's a nice little. Hmm. And then everything just moves so yeah nicely yeah. through. It's just like a wipe done. Let's go. <laughs> And what's the name of that stuff? Slip it. Top coat. In the brown can. Oh, in the brown slip can. Slip what I use, yeah. I think it is. Pretty sure it's... Anyway. We'll find out. The yeah. ritual of it. That's the word I was trying to think of. How, yeah. often do you, how often do you do it? A couple times a year, probably. Two, maybe three. I've done it once. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um... Question number four is from Joe. I've gotten very good at sharpening, and I love the, this brag. I've gotten very good at sharpening my hand plane blades, as well as making my wood surface feel silky smooth off the hand plane. Right on. That's, that's awesome. But he's so good at it. When using a two-pound sh- cut of shellac as a finish, do I need to rough up the surface with sandpaper, such as 300 grit, so that the shellac can stick better to the wood surface? Because it just beads right up. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the wax you've been using on your hand plane, Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's the idea, is that you want it as smooth as possible. It's not going to inhibit the shellac from penetrating into the finish. I mean, shellac will stick to glass, right? It, it's Yeah, sticks to your fingernails. Yeah, so it's going to stick to anything. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, you know, that that hand plane surface, the idea is that you're severing those fibers. Um, so they're going to sort of swell um, not as much as a sanded surface where it's sort of like the end of a paintbrush, you know, with the flagged bristles. So sanding, you know, gives you these sort of frayed ends of all the cells that really absorb a lot of moisture. For any finish you put on there in that first coat will tend to swell the fibers and give you a rough finish and then you sand those down and that's fine. Um, but the other thing is that the hand plane surface, really what you're doing is is you're sort of limiting um, and creating an even penetration of that finish into the wood. And especially if you're using something like oil, um, any areas of tear out where the fibers are more frayed, it's going to soak in a lot and get really dark. So, um Whereas, you know, so on one thing, a hand plane, I think a, a beautifully hand plane surface is an ideal place to start when you're finishing. 
Um, but if you do have any tear out, you got to do some scraping. Then I think you want to sand after that and have a really even scratch pattern, whether it's 320, 400, 600, 800. So if you wind up having to sand any of it, do you sand all of it? Yeah. Yep. So that's even. Yep. Yeah. And I don't use dyes or stains, but that's where it's really, really important to have not an absence or as fine of a scratch pattern as you can get, but a really consistent, somewhat coarse scratch pattern. Most professional finishers will sand to 150. And that gives you a, a nice even scratch pattern so that all the dye and the pigments and the dyes will adhere in those little scratches in a really even way and give you like an even color. Sand to 150? Yeah. You're talking about just with stain? Yeah, for yeah. staining. Or dye. 150. Yep. Not not a clear color. Don't think, go above one fifty. I think you can go with a like a, with a dye. I think you can go more than that. Okay, but typically, like a pigment stain, you want to stop at one fifty. Really? Yep. Because if you try to apply stain to like a hand plane surface, it, it won't stick. It won't penetrate. You won't get the color. Really? Yep. <laughs> Have you heard of such a thing? No. Huh. I've heard of like you don't want to sand to six hundred because it burnishes or whatever, and then closes the pores. But yeah, I don't, I don't buy the burnishing. If you're sanding with sharp sandpaper, there's no burnishing going on. Yeah, if you're sanding with a piece of bone, then you're burnishing spoons. Um, so, so if you're staining, just sand to one fifty. Yeah. Anything else? Do you? Hand plane finish, put a coat of shellac on. It's going to raise the grain a little. Yeah, then you, you sand. But then, then do you sand to with three hundred or six hundred or what? Uh, four hundred, six hundred. Okay. Yeah, because that's typically it's a P four hundred or P six hundred, which are a little bit coarser than traditionally what you might think of those grits to be. Mm-hmm. Your so when what's your sanding regimen when you before you finish? I haven't stained or dyed anything. Mm-hmm. I would go up to 320. Is that what you're asking me? So are you hand playing then going to 320 or are you just sanding? Um, I'm not ag- – you know, it depends. I'm not against just a hand plane finish and then even if there are marks on there, I kind of like that depending on what the piece is. Um, if it's a more – if there's something where I want it very even, I'll go to sandpaper. Um, up to 320. But like I said, I've never dyed or stained anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the shellac, I would sand with 400 in between or even like the final coat, rub it with denim, mm-hmm. like a piece of denim, denim or something like that, and then put wax on. You rub it with de- denim's of a far more used material in woodworking than I've ever known before. I've heard like crumpled up brown paper bags mm-hmm. or even like printer paper to get the nibs off. Are you the one we went, we were eating out somewhere and we didn't have any napkins and you took the brown paper bag that the food came in and you crumpled it up really soft and you made a napkin no, out of it? No, that wasn't me. That was you. No, it wasn't. But it I've was done perfect. that when I was a kid. You make like a faux suede. I used to do that all the time. Oh, that was you. Maybe we ate down at the other building. That sounds like Tom Bagnall. No. He's a crafty that way. He's crafty. Yeah. I'm sure it was you. Or John Tetro, because he's mm. crafty that way. Maybe. You don't want to take credit for this. I would, if that, but it was not me. I would definitely take credit for that, because that's pretty awesome. Was it you? No. <laughs> no, definitely not. I think it all sounds like crazy talk. All right, so I mean, for me, I always, I always try and hand plane. I always wind up having to scrape a little, and then, then I will sand. Sand. Mm-hmm. What do yeah. you start with? I start with two twenty. Yeah, and so I'll hand plane. Actually, I'm sorry. I'll hand plane. Then I sand with two twenty, and then I see the tear out that I didn't see before. Right, because the dust has fallen into the little tear out spots. Yep. And uh, then I'll scrape and then generally work my way up to 600. Cool. But again, not standing or anything like that. So, but yeah, just, just, uh, 
the other question that I had in here, though, would you ever go straight to a two-pound cut of shellac? After hand planing? Yeah. Two, I mean, for me, two pounds a little heavy. Yeah. Um, I mean, something like seal coat, I think it's supposed to be a two-pound cut. I always thin that 50-50. Yeah, I think it's two. one, isn't it? Whatever it is, you mm-hmm. still need to thin it. And when I'm mixing my own, I go for somewhere between a one and two pound cut. You, you just kind of know how it goes on. If it goes on kind of streaky and sticky and it doesn't dry and there's too much shellac, add some alcohol. And if it flashes off and it dries really, really quick and it doesn't feel like there's any build, then throw some more shellac in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But definitely you get in more trouble by too heavy of a cut than too light of a cut. You, I, I mean, I didn't realize this until we recently shot that video. Um, you basically live with a, little thing of seal coat next to you with a thin down seal coat yeah and you're you're applying it the entire time you're working on a piece you're oh yeah pre-finishing it's never like okay i'm gonna stop and pre-finish this piece it's like no i just finished this let's throw some finish on it it's yeah. just a part of your workflow yeah so i've done that the same thing i had a little squeeze bottle with seal coat and thinned it down and i just leave it there now on my bench and if if it's in arms reach it's a lot easier to just yeah do it when you've right got us ready to go if nothing else if you get a wash coat on and sand it down and then glue everything up the any excess glue is going to pop off it's not going to um, make the ingrain blotchy and that because you've sealed and sanded that you know your the surface is going to stay really smooth once you apply your finish on top of it so Finish builds really quickly. It stays really smooth if you just do that. The only time I would refrain from that is if I'm working with a really highly figured wood, maybe curly cherry or tiger maple, where you do lose a little luster going with shellac first. That's when I might wait and just either pre-finish with like a water locks or linseed oil or something. Mm. Um, but white oak, there's not a tremendous amount of luster anyway, and I don't really see a, a big difference with a wash coat of shellac before, like a wiping varnish. So I don't. I skip it. Cool. All right. Well, um, we've got we've got a four star um, review to read, and I'm gonna uh, read it. Normally we read five stars, but I'm going to read this because uh, something I'd like to address a little bit, but uh, this, is, this one's from Camden. I've been listening since day one. I enjoy the podcast, but the recent changes begin to the beginning don't do it for me. Going around introducing the host and getting a little humor in there was enjoyable. And you're right, but also does not allow me to uh, record a bunch of episodes in advance and talk about timely matters. So I'm trying to find... A middle ground right now with the intro trying to make it so that i can record the intro just before we post it and we can talk about things that you know the new issue that just came out that but the episode that's airing might have been recorded a month prior hmm. and we're gonna be doing a lot more of that we've got people like you know bob van dyke coming in we're hoping to have you know andrew hunter coming in and we're gonna record multiple episodes when they sit down so in order to make that happen i'm gonna release them you know Weeks or months after the fact. So I cannot talk about timely matters while we're recording. So I need a place to do that. And it's for, for now going to be the intro. And we'll see. But that's what's going on there. I know change is, is off-putting to some, but I'm trying to find a nice little happy medium. Yeah, today was a perfect example of the awkwardness of the cold start. Yeah. And it's been pretty consistent. <laughs> We'll get there. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Okay. Uh, anybody have any recommendations? Book of Cabins? What is Instagram? that? Instagram? It's a really cool Instagram uh, feed. Book of Cabins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a really cool Instagram feed. Um, Subway Hands. Hmm. It's it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's pictures of hands somebody sees on a subway. I like that. Hmm. Mike, you got Baseball card vandals, or uh, well, if you got if, if to stick to Instagram, um, I don't even know what it is. I just sort of came across by accident. It's it's more of a YouTube channel guy, but he makes things that move vehicles and sculptures. Everything is based on a cordless drill. Who's that guy? Oh, Izzy Swan. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Izzy Swan's the best. Yeah, 
makes like this big sort of walking dinosaur thing you sit on. Powered by a drill. Powered by a drill. Really? It makes these cool cars you sit down and, and like scoot down the road on. Powered by a drill. Yep. Really? It's yeah. fantastic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. A cordless drill? Cordless yep. drill. It's amazing. <laughs> Same brand all the time? Uh, no, I think he, he's equal opportunity. Huh. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Yeah. Cordless drill. Cool. All right. Well, that's all for this episode of Shop Talk Live. If you have questions you'd like us to answer on the show, send them into shoptalkatotten.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please click that thumbs up button. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for listening. I almost drooled. <laughs> During a yawn. <laughs> you know it's a good yawn. Oh. When you almost <laughs> That's <drool>. a satisfying <laughs> yawn. <laughs>